Welcome to the Crossroads of Destiny and Avatar The Last Airbender Universe podcast. Right now, we are talking about every episode of Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender one at a time. I am Chad Hopkins, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andrew and Melanie Grant. Andrew, Melanie, how are you doing tonight? We're doing great. Pretty great. Great. Well, this is normally the part of the show where we would be talking about like our lives over the last week, but we recorded the preview episode earlier today, and then we watched the episodes, and now we're here to talk about those episodes. Nothing has changed. <laughs> so next time, listeners, that you are listening, hopefully we have stuff to say about ourselves here, and we also have stuff to say from you, because we would love to hear from you after you hear our first episodes. So make sure to reach out to us for that. We're going to go ahead and just jump right into it. We're going to start off by talking about the first two episodes. This is probably our only time we're going to talk about two episodes at once for at least a long time. Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens when we get to those. We're starting off with book one, chapters one and two. The titles of these episodes are The Boy in the Iceberg and The Avatar Returns. Both of these were directed by Dave Filoni, who's since gained fame in the Star Wars universe. And they were written by the show's creators, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitzko. And these originally aired February 21st of 2005. So for these first episodes, the summary that we're going to give is basically just going to be the opening narration. So I'll go ahead and start with that. And then we'll start talking about everything. Water, earth, fire, air. My grandmother used to tell me stories about the old days, a time of peace, when the Avatar kept balance between the water tribes, Earth Kingdom, Fire Nation, and Air Nomads. But that all changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar mastered all four elements. Only he could stop the ruthless firebenders. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years have passed, and the Fire Nation is nearing victory in the war. Two years ago, my father and the men of my tribe journeyed to the Earth Kingdom to help fight against the Fire Nation, leaving me and my brother to look after our tribe. Some people believe that the Avatar was never reborn into the Air Nomads and that the cycle is broken, but I haven't lost hope. I still believe that somehow the Avatar will return to save the world. And after that very first episode, The Boy in the Iceberg, that is the only time that full narration is given. So the only things I want to add before we start talking about it is that this narration is done by a character named Katara, who is the only waterbender left in the Southern Water Tribe. Her brother's name is Sokka, and he's not a waterbender. And in the first episode, they find Aang, the first airbender seen in nearly 100 years, and yet only a child, frozen with his flying bison, Appa, in an iceberg. So... Let's just talk about some general thoughts from the episode, some story beats we want to highlight before we get to like the meteor stuff. Either we want to just jump in and start talking about it. I'm very interested to know what Melanie thought of the first two episodes now that she's seen them. Okay, go for it, Melanie. <laughs> okay. So I did remember a lot more than I thought. Mm -hmm. There was a boy yes. in a block of ice. There was. Didn't remember that he put himself in the block of ice. Right. With that flashback. Mm -hmm. And his name is Ang. Oh, yeah. And that, <laughs> and that his name is Ang. Drew really wants to tell a story about that. So I'll let you go ahead and do that. Okay. Well, yeah. So we were trying to figure out what Halloween costume to put our son in for this upcoming Halloween. We'd previously talked about a fruit bat because, well, it's adorable. Um, and secondly, <laughs> because we already had a plan for it and he loves fruit. So it was, it was just going to be adorable. We were going to feed him fruit all night. And he'd be in character a thousand percent of the time. And then when we started talking about this podcast, we were like, maybe because we, we have recently shaved his head with his first haircut. So now we have a, a very bald child. <laughs> and I was like, 
what if we just drew an arrow on his head and he could go with Halloween as Ang. So the other day, my wife texts me and she's like, we need to go to the store because they're having a sale on, on black stuff, you know, clothes um, and things like that, that we could make the costume out of for him to be a bat. And I text back and I was just like, Aang doesn't wear black. <laughs> and the the message I received back was, who's Aang? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, we're about to do a whole podcast. <laughs> exactly that question. <laughs> Well, that at least speaks to the authenticity of our show (laughs) and in us speaking to Melanie's level of information Uh, ahead of time. So Uh. I think that's this is probably the least favorite part that I have about doing this podcast is like I do not like not being in the know of anything. And both of you know, obviously, so much more information than I do about this. So I'm just going to have to get over that, I think. Well, I mean, it's not like we're making fun of you. It's we're watching a show together. We're interested to see your perspective of it. Not not anything negative. It was just I I did find it amusing that yes. we've already agreed to do a podcast <laughs> about Avatar The Last Airbender and you asked me who Aang was. <laughs> Awkward moment when he's like the whole show. Yeah, I was yeah. like, this is why this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I really did enjoy is like how many different elements we had where it was really serious t- topics. And we talk about how the Fire Nation and the Water Tribe and all the other three tribes are going against the Fire Nation. And how dramatic that was and how obviously mm-hmm. that's playing a very big role in what our storyline is going to be so far, seeing as it's gone on for, what, 100 years, they said. Mm-hmm. But they still are able to keep a balance where it's lighthearted, it's funny. I mean, I think I said that earlier whenever we were watching the show together that uh, or the first episode that I already see a, <laughs> a, the common relationship of the older brother and a younger sister bickering and fighting and kind of getting on each other's nerves. I totally relate to that with my older brother. He reminds me exactly of Sokka. Like, it's just this, almost too too similar. Get a little close to home. A little too close to home. I was like, oh, he's so annoying. But I actually do really enjoy his character. Mm-hmm. I think he does bring a really cool comic relief to the whole thing. But I just loved how sweet and innocent Aang mm seems to be portrayed at the moment and then there's obviously there's some times like i think in the second episode right where he is attacked constantly and and whenever they're trying to get off the ship from the fire nation all of a sudden he gets like to this point where it's almost like he he blacks out he doesn't even know what he's doing Mm -hmm. and then there's just like this ultimate power that came out of nowhere he doesn't even remember like he doesn't know how he did it right so inside this sweet little innocent boy, there's a lot more than that that we know about. So I thought that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's also Absolutely. the same thing we saw earlier in the first episode whenever we saw the flashback to him being submerged was that was an instance of him having the glowing eyes and the glowing arrow and everything where yeah. he sort of lost control and blacked out mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how or why he became to came to be under the ice in the first place when he woke up. Right, because I think it... There's a moment in the show where he's like, it's been like, what, a couple a of couple days? days? And yeah. he's, mm-hmm. she's like, uh, no, if you really <laughs> don't know what's going on, then it's been like at least 100 years. Right. So he's like, I'm doing pretty well for 102 years old. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. 112. Yeah. yeah. And it's really cute. But yeah, I can't imagine losing that much time. Before we get into like heavier discussion stuff, is there any like general character things? We, like, do we have anything we want to say about Sokka right off the bat? I think with Sokka, he 
is taking so much on his shoulders, so much responsibility. I always thought that was weird. But it's such a like more common role that I feel like a lot of boys nowadays feel like they have to take a role, a more responsible role in their family. I just, it's sad to have seen it where he's the only, the oldest male in his, in the tribe, right? So he felt the need to kind of step into this older warrior role than because all of the other men are out fighting Mm -hmm. and so he feels like all he's growing up so much faster and i think katara is too so what is she saying whenever they're penguin sliding her and ang she goes i i used to do this so much as a kid and then ang was like you still are a kid you you are a kid yeah Yeah, so i both of them i feel like both of them are growing up faster than what they should they've be. had to shoulder a lot i always i did always find it weird that i don't know i guess it wasn't too weird for me because you know when you go from the like pokemon mentality when a 10 year old is just off on his own oh yeah that would have fighting, totally never flown <laughs> right fighting with monsters and stuff and then you have a 12 year old and then these like you know kind of preteens. you're like i guess it's not i mean it's not that weird but if you're coming from it fresh you're just like why why is the oldest male 14 years old or 13 right. years old like it doesn't make any sense why did every single person leave and leave like literally women and children in the in the southern water tribe and so i think if you think about it just a, in a little bit more depth you have to realize that something bigger is going on right. like mm-hmm. no no sane like chieftain is going to be like yes all the women and children stay here we're going to leave <laughs> The oldest one in charge is a 14-year-old kid thinks bye. Like, it doesn't make any sense unless something much larger is happening. I know, and I don't want to think about it too Right, hard, and I'm not going to make me super I, I don't want to go into, like, foreshadowing or anything like that. But, I mean, it seems fairly straightforward. Like, that's the only way when I was watching it for that to make sense. Right. It's just like, why, where did, why where did they think the this adults? was a, yeah, <laughs> why did they think this was a good idea? This can't be real. Yeah, but even then, looking outside of the Water Tribe and Katara and Sokka, you have Aang, who we've already highlighted, is only 12 years, 112 years old, but 12. And then you have Zuko. And Zuko... It's Aang, running his yeah, own ship. He's running his own ship, and Aang points out to him, too, you're only a teenager. <laughs> like, right. Zuko says, you're just a kid. And Aang responds, well, you're only a teenager. Right. And so th- that's a recurring theme that we don't need to talk about like every single time it's kind of brought to our attention, but I mean, that, that should be something that sits in the back of everybody's minds. All of these characters are kids and they are thrust in the middle of this conflict that they don't really, they, they should, they don't understand. They shouldn't have to feel the weight of it on their shoulders. And yet they do. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it's been going on 10, you know, their lifetime times 10, like, right. But that also brings into this, what I'm kind of just now processing through is that, if you think about a, a war that's been going on for 100 years, you would have to be introduced to it at a very young age mm-hmm. because you could be the person who changes it, ends the war, because all your family, the generation and the generation before them has ever known is a war amongst the entire world and all four different nations and their bending. So it's just like, you know, from that standpoint, you you really have to question like how many adults are involved in this war nowadays or mm-hmm. how young are these soldiers and things like that because you have a war that's been going on for a hundred years. You have to think about how that would affect the generations previous. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is the norm throughout the entire universe because 
you have a you know lesser older people because they're all constantly fighting. Let's just go ahead and go into our like main discussion part of the episode <laughs> because we keep forcing you into. Yeah, <laughs> this was not lighthearted conversation. At all. <laughs> That's okay because it, I mean this is these are the episodes that set up the whole rest of it, and Absolutely. so there's lots to discuss. What we want to kind of do with this part of the episode each week is each of us are going to bring one or two questions that we have or things that we think might be good discussion topics rather than us like talk through the whole episode. We don't want it to be like a, a recap show. We just want to talk about some of the big ideas and character arcs. So uh, who wants to sort of jump forward with a question or topic they have first? I did have a topic that I wanted to discuss. Mainly it would be phrased as a question, but it's so straightforward that it's just worth discussing. And it's the fact that even in these first two episodes, how ingrained our characters are already. Like every time Sokka reacts to something, it's defensive. He's oh, yeah. responsible. He's the one who's going to protect and defend. And then every time Katara reacts to anything that happens, it's always in how can I help or how can I, you know, how can I save? And then you have Aang who every time he reacts to something is very innocent or passive. And, you know, this goes on. I mean, even for, for Zuko, it's, he's zero to a hundred, like literally every time he's on the he screen, is so angsty. He's, just, he's just yelling. The very first time we see him, <laughs> uncle Iroh says something to the effect of, why don't you just sit down and enjoy some nice, soothing, calming tea? He's like, I don't want tea. I don't want any calming tea. I don't need any calming tea. I was like, dude, you need some tea. <laughs> maybe, maybe take a beat, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Iroh, who's, even though he's only spoken like three or four times in the first two episodes. You can already tell he have, has like a he really has this big like role. grounded mentality. He's just like, I mean, he's always telling Zuko to calm down, think about what he's doing, make a plan figure it out, you know, like, yes, you just saw that light over there, but your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents have been looking for the Avatar. So the next 12 hours really don't matter. Let's go, let's go rest. Right. And he's still <laughs> just so hypervigilant, like, because it's Zuko. It's his honor. It's everything to him. And he is that force, like, that, that force of nature is so ingrained into him and his character that, Every time we see these characters, we're already developing, in just the first two episodes, we're already developing this very stringent pattern of who they are. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's very important to know this information because it's point A for all these characters. Where where are they starting? And then you also have the the sense of now you already kind of know them. You know that the next time someone's in trouble, Katara's going to want to help them. Aang is going to, you know, innocently wander onto a fire, <laughs> a fire nation ship. Like all of these little things, they're very recurrent in the sense that it's we've already seen it happen. We've already established a pattern. Yeah, we've already established a pattern. And I, I don't know if you'll probably notice it. I won't say I don't know if you'll have, but I wanted to discuss more to see if I, I had missed anything. One or if y'all had anything to add to that kind of ingraining of a character in such a short amount of time. Well, you listed a couple of specific traits I wanted to linger on. Mm -hmm. So like you, one of the first words you use for Aang is that he's passive. And I hope that's something that you noticed, Melanie, mm -hmm. in this first episode. Mm -hmm. When when conflict is brought to Aang, he'd rather he's just not fighting. leave. 
he's not fighting the when he's confronted in the village by the fire nation people he sweeps snow over them and otherwise doesn't really attack there's no attack and he realizes that as zuko is throwing fire at him and he's just trying to sort of disperse it and get it away from him it's getting too close to the others and so he decides i have to end this and i have to bring the fight away from these people and even when we get to the ship and he's he's escaped initially and he's trying to he's trying to navigate he's not fighting anybody he's Mm-mm. running around with air especially in that one-on-one with zuko in that room right the, the the biggest thing he does to zuko in that scene is he attacks him with a cushion yeah a mattress yeah, yeah like <laughs> that was really so funny though is there anything that that maybe says to any of us about ang specifically like do you have any thoughts on what that means for him or like what what does that say about his past or his upbringing i wrote down literally fight or flight Mm. And underlined fight because it was just like he's obviously not there to fight. And I think even ingrained into being an air nomad, obviously like nomad already has a connotation of no wonder. Yeah, like you're you're prone to move. You're mm-hmm. prone to not anchor down, you know, free flowing. Like we don't even know much about the air nomads at this point, but just the fact that they're called nomads mm-hmm. has has meaning and we also know that he was raised by monks and so right that was like very briefly mentioned and i looked at you guys as like monks and Mm -hmm. neither of you reacted yeah because zuko we were trying really hard not to react which is kind of the point because along with that statement zuko says i would assume you don't know anything of parents because you've been raised by by monks monks. yeah right um i also thought it was very clever when i didn't catch it in some of these other watchers is that ang realizes that no one knows how to fight an airbender. So he's literally walking down the hall, and he and he says it. He says it point blank, like, I bet y'all never fought an airbender before. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my God, they've never fought an airbender. Like, right. I, it, it, like yeah. he literally says it, and I still skipped over it. Like, it's just, you know, saying some kind of throwaway something. And then I thought about it, I was just like, no, literally that no one has seen one for a hundred years. Yeah, he right. has a huge so, advantage. Right, and so they, they don't even know what, know what to, to do. do with yeah, him. I mean, they tied his hands, but then he can airbend He's like, with I can fight you with my yeah, hands behind yeah, my back. Yeah, and he knows how because right. he's he's been trying to and none of them know that what's coming because they've never fought an airbender before. And I thought that was really cool that it was it was, it was was so like handed to you and at the same time you're like, why wouldn't they know how to fight an air? Right, 100 years, 100 years, 100 years. <laughs> and I think it's kind of cool about Aang's character is he, like I think what you touched on a little bit, Chad, is that he'd rather kind of just leave the situation rather than hurt people. So whenever the Water Nation was saying that he was the one that caused, like, alarmed the Fire Nation on saying, like, oh, they're coming, like, this is where we are, gave away their position, and they wanted to banish him and get rid of him, he was like, okay, I'll go. Just Mm -hmm. don't worry about it. Or when the Fire Nation came, and because they did find him because of the flare, right? He's like, I'd rather just leave with you guys. Like, if I leave, you guys have to promise not to harm anybody from this from the tribe. And so he'd rather just kind of give up on, not give up, but like surrender rather than see anybody harmed. He knows when to pick his back. Yeah, right. because right. he knows, well, technically not at this point, but he knows his potential. He knows his strength. He knows what his powers are. Mm-hmm. So he knows he can kind of, I don't know, really win. win. Yeah. Fairly kind quickly. Like an ace in the hole. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he'd rather give that up so that he makes sure that nobody is hurt. Mm-hmm. And I, 
And I think that kind of goes to his innocence and yeah. how come he really doesn't want the role, I don't think, of the last airbender. I definitely want to talk about that specifically in a second. But what I also want to yes. say that points to what we've been talking about with Aang being passive and being avoiding of conflict is that he he says, you know, before he went to sleep in the ice for 100 years, there wasn't a war Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he had friends all over the world, including in the fire nation. So part of this, I think is just him thinking back. The fire nation have been my friends. Why would I want to fight them? He he's been told there's a war, but right now he hasn't seen what that means. Right. And I mean, and all of his training has been in peacetime. Right. If you think about it, like up until he left, he was, there wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. So there, there's no reason for him to have been trained in, you know, very hardcore offensive when it's been all peace up until that point. Okay. And so what I want to talk about now is what Melanie just said. He says at the very end of the second episode, I didn't tell you I was the avatar because I never wanted to be. And at first, I mean, it took us until the second episode for him to disclose that information. We know as intelligent watchers of the show that he has to be the avatar just based on how things are set up but the the characters don't know until the fire nation arrives and arrives to protect them and it's revealed oh this kid is the avatar and so when he says at the very very end i didn't tell you because i never wanted this like what what do we have to say about that specifically i called it i did because I asked in the beginning of the show, and you guys are so stone-faced every time, <laughs> and it drives me nuts. Oh, because you asked us if, if he isn't the Avatar. No, I asked if he knew he was the Avatar, but he didn't want to say it to anybody. And you, you guys kind of like shifty-eyed me for a little bit and didn't respond, which I have to get used to. So whenever it happened at the end, he was like, yeah, no, it's me, because all of these powers came out of nowhere. I was like, I told y'all. None of, and then you're like, you know, babe, we've seen this a lot. Yeah, so no. <laughs> we knew, definitely knew. We, we but, weren't um, surprised. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just think it's a, a lot of responsibility for a kiddo, like someone who's so young and well, like we've mentioned on already, he's not, but same as someone who's so young to try to do all this, all this responsibility to bring peace to all these tribes and different, different colonies, I guess. I wouldn't want it. That's that's hard enough. And to especially not know how to tap into it either. Because it seems like right. it has to get to a, a really big breaking point in order for him to get there. And it wipes him out because he passed out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. After whenever he was, they were fighting the Fire Nation, like he passed out. That takes a lot of energy for him. So they talk about the significance of Aang being back and him being the Avatar and about him needing to master water, then earth, then fire, and him and Katara can learn together. Isn't that great? But then the very last thing we're left with as they're preparing to set off on this journey, he has all these nonsense chips planned. Because <laughs> yes. I love it. He's yes, still a I kid. made a note of that as well. He's yeah. still a kid. And, you know, uh, you have to imagine what being Aang is like. He already didn't want to be the Avatar. He told us that he never wanted to be the Avatar. And then he's frozen for 100 years sort of well i mean definitely against his will it's not like he planned on it Mm -mm. and then he wakes up to find a war waging that only he can bring peace to so it's like this stacking of responsibilities immediately immediately and he's like y'all i just on top of so he, he knew that he was destined to be the avatar at some point which means that i mean the avatar's role is to maintain peace 
but this isn't maintaining peace anymore. This is having to bring peace back to a world that hasn't known it for a hundred years. So a lot of responsibility on this kid's shoulders. Yeah, no, I definitely made a note of this like road trip mentality as he's like, and I think the funniest part is he pulls out the map and it's not even like, logistically feasible right he doesn't go like oh this place is next to this place and then we'll do that this place is next to this place and we'll do that he's literally like crisscrossing the entire globe like three times just so he can ride on a llama or something like that and you're just like what what are you doing (laughs) all right you're right he's a 12 year old right of course that makes sense to him because it's it's the order of what he wants to do not the order of that makes sense and it's this very impulsive young kind of in it that same innocent vibe that you always get from him and i just think it's really funny like we came we came off of a really serious topic he revealed that he knew this information this whole time so it's really serious and they're like coming to a plan and they're trying all the three of them are like figuring out like this is what we have to do in order to help him along their journey so that they both can learn the water but then for ang to finish his whole journey himself so we were like thinking, it's like, okay, but we have to do other things first. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's more tasks. There's more responsibilities. Here we go. And then he talks about the llamas and the hog something. And I, I can't remember what it is. And it's just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> he just wants to go play with animals this whole time. It's him knowing his responsibilities and the weights on his shoulders, but still not being able to let go of the fact that he's a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or actively running away from those responsibilities. Like at this point, he's like, no. Maybe it's a way well, for him to keep play. stalling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To keep exactly putting it I mean. off. Yeah, he's putting it off. Because he's a like 12 a year child. old. Yeah. <laughs> now, Andrew, you said you wanted to talk about the Avatar state. Now, the Avatar state hasn't been defined for us yet, and we, we don't know a whole lot of details about it. But the Avatar right. state is what happened to Aang when he froze himself. Oh, and, and at like, the end of the, the, okay. the episode, when he was able to waterbend even though he doesn't know how to waterbend and defeat the fire Navy with Zuko. So Andrew, what did you have to say about that? So what I wanted to say about that is that fact in in and of itself is that there is such a notable difference between Aang and the avatars, like same body, but completely different, like essentially personality because as Melanie did point out, as soon as he goes into the Avatar state, which is what it's called, when he turns and, you know, eyes turn blue and glowy, all of it, he starts glowing and all of that stuff. It's no longer Aang, who we've seen as passive, who we've seen as innocent, who we've seen as, you know, just trying to placate people so he can get away or protect other people. It turns into this person who is like ready to shut things down. There's this immense power, and it's very overtly offensive. Like, it is, we're done. Yeah, it's no dodging fights anymore. No, it is. We're, like, and then he completely grounds the Fire Nation ship. Like, in, in like, well, it was technically Iroh and Zuko's fireball that did that, and it wasn't even in the Avatar state. But the point is that he completely wiped out the entire, you know, Fire Nation Navy unit essentially that it was on on that ship in like 12 seconds like he'd been fighting them for literally like he's no joke like 20 minutes and then he turns into the avatar and it's done like moving on and so they're literally flying away and then they of course ground themselves with that that fireball but 
my point being is that it seems like we're already seeing that it's not the same person. So when he says he didn't want to be the avatar, I think there's already this implication that he knows what the avatar is capable of. Oh. In that it is, and it's so overtly against his own mentality and that he doesn't have control over it that he doesn't want to use it. So even besides the purpose of the avatar, which is some kind of like diplomatic person who is supposed to bring unity and peace to all of the nations, also as the avatar states, the av- the power of the avatar that he can tap into, he doesn't want that because he also knows that he doesn't a doesn't have control over it. That's what I was gonna say. Is it because he's afraid of how to lo- how much he loses control? Right, and so I mean, so that's the 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 kind of overarching question is: Is he just out of? Is, is it? Does he not like it because he loses control, and he can't be like, I'm just going to suppress them instead of like demolish o- them, <laughs> overtly defeat them, or is it more to the point that he didn't want it because? he never wanted that kind of power in the first place. So I always thought that was an, an interesting thing in these, these first, even in the first episodes, you see that there's this dichotomy between Aang and the Avatar, even though they are the same person. Yeah, it could be argued Aang is, is destined to be the Avatar, but he's not, he's not there yet because he only knows. We, we know from the opening narration that the Avatar is the person who can master all four elements, and we see an airbender, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, Melanie, do you have any questions? Well, not questions that we can answer, but like questions <laughs> that might be answered in the future or theories about the Avatar state? Not particularly. I did have a question about the elements themselves. Like we've already mentioned that Katara is the only waterbender, that Aang is so, so far the, on- the, la- I mean, the last airbender. And then we have Zuko and then the uncle who both have the ability for fire. But then you notice during whenever they're fighting on the ship that the soldiers themselves are able to cast fire as well. My question is, how come there's so limited numbers of the people who are able to do the elements, the other elements, and then there's so many people who are able to do fire? And is it because the Fire Nation is overcoming the other elements? I was just thinking that was kind of curious yeah well keep in mind that the 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 water tribe is the water tribe and in the opening narration we learned that Katara and Sokka's father has been gone with the rest of the men uh theoretically for two years oh okay is what is what they said they've been gone for two years and we also know that their mother has passed away we don't right. know any circumstances behind that but they don't have a mother and their father has been away at war presumably for two years and what we see of the Fire Navy here is specifically like a battalion. Like this is a group. And so it makes sense that since they are soldiers, that they would all have the ability to fire bend. And not necessarily 100% of firebenders are, uh, or not, not fire, nation. fire Nation are firebenders. Right. Does that make sense? So, like, so it would make sense that looking at the water tribe, Katara didn't go along with her father and the others because even though she's a waterbender, she's a kid. And uh, I see. You, you could assume that all the other people that went with her father were probably also waterbenders. And her brother just didn't get the ability. Right. And he's a little jealous. Yes. He's totally jealous. And some of those questions will be answered. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, that is 
a great observation, and Chad makes an uh, excellent point in the sense that you have an elite squad in the Fire Nation Navy coming and looking for the Avatar. So they're going to be the filtered few mm-hmm. who do have the capability to, to do that. But it was a great observation that even in this first episode, there is an overwhelming bias toward the number of firebenders to any other kind of benders. Okay. We've spent some time talking about Aang. Now I want to focus on Zuko yeah. because he is already a super interesting character. I mean, the very first thing we see about him is the scar on his face. <laughs> Not a wine stain. Not a wine stain. Not a wine stain. <laughs> we don't have any uh, context for why he might have that, but we do have a few things that I wanted to point out and then maybe open the floor to Melanie and see like, well, what questions she has about this guy? Because mm-hmm. we know he's Prince Zuko. What is Prince Zuko doing out in the middle of the South Pole hunting an avatar that has been missing for 100 years? And also, he's traveling with his uncle. Why his uncle specifically? Do we have any questions about him? And then lastly, he says that the reason he has an advantage over his father, grandfather, great-grandfather searching for the avatar is because for them, their honor wasn't on the line when trying to find him. So I wanted to know, Melanie, did that bring any questions to mind? It kind of brought up an idea that, because it is curious on how come they would send a prince to go and do this kind of, this search, and someone who is so young. So what I kind of thought is maybe his, I could be completely wrong, but a prediction that I have is that his family because he is the next line in succession to the throne that maybe they were trying to send him away from all of what the battle is where the battle is happening so they can protect him just in case he were to fall into a trap or get imprisoned or something and then their their nation itself is vulnerable so i was thinking maybe they sent him with the with his very wise old uncle almost to kind of babysit him send him almost like on a fool's errand thinking that he they gave him this really important task to do find the last airbender why he thinks as a 14 year old boy he's the one that's going to do it they thought that Sending him away from all of this will keep him safer. Okay, so you think it's a, a mission for safety, okay? Protecting the air. Yeah. Protecting the air, essentially, yeah. Now, do you have any questions or theories about the scar? The scar? I don't. I, I think he was discovering the fact that he had this ability to firebend, and I think it got out of control, maybe with his anger. Okay. Just like Aang does kind of where his powers come out whenever he's pushed with too much pressure. Mm-hmm. I think something maybe similar happened with Zuko. Where, yeah, I mean, because we do see he has an anger, an anger issue for sure. Yeah. And his calming uncle is there to kind of like tamper him down like, it's okay, don't worry about it. Just so he doesn't get to that point again. Because he's obviously maimed from it. So it's almost another level of protection for him. Okay, and then uh, the last part was... He says that his honor hinges on this. Where do you think honor comes into the whole Zuko discussion? Well, honor, probably because he also feels a lot of responsibility from his family line, I think. That it's probably been ingrained in him from a very young age that the Fire Nation is one of probably the top of all of the elements, that they have to be the ones that are the most dominant on all of this. So that's why it's three elements against one. They... They obviously set themselves apart from everybody else. 
So it's probably been ingrained in him that honor is one of the most important things that somebody can have. And the fact that it's someone is threatening that is why he takes it so personally. The, the Avatar is threatening it? Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that the Avatar is threatening it. Mm-hmm. So he'd rather take care of the Avatar so that his family's honor, his nation's honor goes untarnished. So it's a preemptive sort of yes. situation. One thing I wanted to point out about Zuko is that even though he is a hothead, pun intended. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> he, he is honorable. Like when, when Aang is defending against him in the water tribe and he says, hold on a second. These people are in danger right now. Mm-hmm. You have come for me. Can we go and leave these people alone? Zuko doesn't have a problem with I'm that. Really he's, sure. he's, not, he's not trying to like destroy everybody who comes across his path. He is seeking honor for himself, and he is displaying honorable characteristics, even though, yes, he's, he's the antagonist of the episode. Yeah. Right. I think it plays into, especially since literally every time the Fire Nation is mentioned, brought up, seen, referred to, Anytime. It's very negative. It's it's always like, oh, this ship is here, but we don't talk about it because it's been haunting our tribes. It's been haunting our tribes for all these years. Or, you know, obviously literally from like the thirtieth word in the first introduction of the show, the Fire Nation attacked and nothing has been the same ever since. So it's it's every time you hear it, you're like Okay, these people are literally going across the world and just murdering everyone or start you know starting all these battles and the cause of the war. And I think we see already in Zuko that he may not carry all of those characteristics. He may not be that 100% Fire Nation kind of person in the sense that his first instinct isn't just to destroy everything. Right. It's oh yeah, no, I'm here I'm here for the Avatar. Mission accomplished. Let's get on the sh- let's get on the ship. His goal isn't to destroy everything. One more thing that I think bears some decent discussion is Grand Grand's role in this episode. These episodes, because we see how fearful the Water Tribe is from the moment they arrive. Like even Aang being an outside presence makes people nervous. It makes Sokka nervous. A twelve a twelve year old boy. Right. And they're so like uh. uh Yeah, don't know about this. And it's the kids that have to warm up to him first. But even then, when when they misstep and they set off the booby trap on the ship, it's like, okay, you probably need to get out of here. Grand Grand says it's probably best that he leaves. And then once it's revealed that he is the Avatar and he has been taken by the Fire Navy, when Katara and Sokka gather their things to go rescue him, Grand Grand is all on board. Like she she had already come with the notion of setting them on their journey. And she, she mentions that this is the first time in a long time she's ever had hope. So I just wanted, first off, the, the level of sort of despair that everybody was, has grown up with over this time mm-hmm. because there was no hope. And now the, the hope that is instilled in them because the one person who can stop the Fire Nation has finally appeared. Mm-hmm. So do we have any discussion that sort of stems from that? Grand Grand totally knows a lot more than what she's letting in on. Okay. I mean, yeah, she's she's like not revealing anything, and it's super frustrating. Right, and you she's keeping ex- things from everyone. You expect just like exposition after exposition, like her to just shovel it on to get the story rolling, and it it never comes. No, just like, she's just totally so have- like <laughs> sitting back and watching all of it happen. It's like you know what's going to happen. So you have almost nine decades of time missing. 
nine decades of time of wartime missing and the oldest person we see on the show besides Iroh but I think Grand Grand's older anyway doesn't say anything she doesn't help you out with anything she's just like no yeah no the avatar's back you should probably go with him that's a that's a great plan because you, you I mean it all harkens back to the fact that she hasn't known peace she didn't think the avatar was around anymore and the one person whose job it is to bring peace to maintain stability across all of the nations isn't there and so now that they finally return you you have that glimmer of hope she's like okay things are actually this is real like the avatar isn't just some myth people have talked about for a hundred years like there's actually a person out there who's going to help us who is powerful enough to help us after Aang is taken by Zuko and the Fire Navy you can see how downtrodden the tribe is with Aang gone like before they were hopeless but now that they know that he's the avatar they are in despair mm-hmm. like it's, it's even a difference from their state before they were they were hope they, they didn't have hope because and that was just like the, their normal state of being they didn't expect this war to really necessarily end because they didn't have somebody who could end it mm-hmm. and then they find out the avatar is back and oh no he's already been captured by the Fire Nation we this is an even more dire situation just like that yeah just like that (laughs) and so as the airbender he sort of brought fun and then he left but then they found out he's an avatar and he brought hope but then he was taken prisoner and so then you have katara who's like i'm we've got to go after him and sokka right along with her says yeah okay let's go i love how sokka instantly opens up when ang is taken because previously he was against it so it's it's a smart switch of opinion right and you also see that Sokka isn't this close-minded like no we have to say we have to protect everything like all the time because Katara is already lit she's like (laughs) ready to fight Sokka and be like no Sokka I know this is right we have to go help Aang he's our he's the avatar it's part of our destiny we found him for the and Sokka's like bro like I got it <laughs> right we're ready to go yeah. Pack your things. <laughs> get Let's in go. the boat like, <laughs> and, then, and then Grand Grand comes along and echoes the same sentiment she right. was right along with Sokka saying mm-hmm. okay Aang is a distraction he's going to get us in trouble uh he needs to leave but now it's just a completely different side of the coin Aang is the avatar your destinies are intertwined with his. Mm-hmm. And so his, his travels, his missions are yours now. And I love how instantly she is supportive of these kids going out on this venture to potentially save the world. Absolutely. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about, like major story or character-wise? Logistically, this probably should have been brought up a long time ago, and I apologize for that. But we we're first introduced to bending of any kind. Well, besides like the silhouettes doing things in the opening of an actual character that we know we're first introduced to it by Katara and she's she catches a fish she's very focused on what she's doing but it's very sloppy it's all this we first start to see power in bending when Katara gets emotional and so even from the first time that we see anything happen you realize that bending isn't just something that is done or that people inherently have control over and is in like inherently part of your person. So you're angry, you're upset, you're hurt in any way, your bending will reflect that. 
And so she can barely catch a fish, but then she splits an iceberg in two because she's upset. Like those are things that are very important to point out in the very beginning of what bending is, because then you see also echoed in both Aang and Zuko. Zuko is a firebender. His, you know, a lot of his force comes from bending. Like he's, you know, you see the, it's guns blazing, Mm -hmm. all action, very explosive personalities. And all of these are meant to reflect the aspects of his personality are fiery as much as his bending is. The more rage he has, the more anger he has, the more bending he has. Aang, trying to get away from people, you know, being a passive person, uses that bending very effectively in the sense that since his main motivation is to protect and not harm, his power is derived from making sure that he can control himself, he can fly, he can get away, and he can suppress people enough to where he has an, a bit, an, the ability to escape. So all of these things are tied into aspects of their personality. Mm-hmm. It's not just, even from these first two episodes, you can, you can derive that it's not just something that happens. It's not, you know, they're, they're 12-year-old kids or very young kids, and at the same time, they have this power. It's definitely unharnessed, but it also is reflecting in their own personalities and their emotions. And I thought that was, it kind of grows more important, especially after the number of watch throughs that I've seen, but that it's laid down in this kind of foundational episodes in these first two episodes. There's another scene that I think shows it really well when uh, Iro is training Zuko on the ship. And he says that the the power comes from the breath and not from the fist, not from the body and the muscle. Um, So we see that there's different parts of your bending ability. There's the actual training of it because something we we can talk more in depth about as we get to future episodes and we see other types. Each element of bending is rooted in a different ancient Chinese martial art. I have these written down here. You have water, which we've seen so far, which is heavily based in Tai Chi. And then you have fire bending, which is based in northern Shaolin. And then air bending is based in Bagua, which is like a very circular kind of martial art where it's about moving in circles and flowing. And that, that falls really nicely in line with the pattern of air and evading and moving around like that. So there's the, the, the martial art aspect of it where you have to learn certain techniques. But then there's also the, the emotional acting out of fear or rage or whatever other emotion you're bottling up anything else we haven't talked about the animals okay Uh, so we've got one main animal who is appa i love him (laughs) as you should appa's amazing yep yep (laughs) Yep. now now i know what yep yep means (laughs) so we've got appa he's a flying bison uh and we know he's ang's companion he was frozen with him in the ice there's also the the penguins. The penguins. <laughs> and I know Melanie's a big penguin fan. I Anyways. am. I penguins. Penguins. <laughs> penguins. Thank you, Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> What's interesting, and something that you can go ahead and point out now, because it's a continuing thread, is that none of the animals are like straight up animals from our world. I know. Like even was... the penguins have like double flippers. It's and another they... degree of separation. Like right. it is Earth? Question mark or not really? Yeah, soccer like, even... refers to themselves as humans. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then even like the sea lion, I think they're sea lions. They have stripes. Yeah. Like tigers. Mm-hmm. And that was really weird. 
the penguins are like a penguin seal hybrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're super cute. I love them. They have their little like little whiskers. Yeah, little yeah and the double flippers. Kind of looks like a mustache on yeah. him. <laughs> but I loved Appa. I loved how grumpy he is. I think he like has Same. like basically no emotion. <laughs> he kind of reminds me of a Snorlax a little bit. It's just like doesn't want to be bothered, yeah. wants to be sleeping. I mean, I guess I'll do what you want me to do. Yeah. And I loved how Sokka doesn't believe that he can fly. That's like Aang's biggest thing. He's like, I'm an airbender. I can. I know how to do this. And he goes, yeah, yeah, sure you can, because your animal's currently walking yeah. or swimming, and he's not flying. And then finally, he, he couldn't remember the yip-yip thing, right? Mm-hmm. He, he kept saying, like, every other adjective to describe um, what he wanted him to do. And then all of a sudden, he took flight, and that was, just, like, a really cool moment. I love that he went into the air. I love that. So we, we've seen from Sokka that he's very skeptical. Yes. Um, Super skeptical. He, he's also kind of intolerant of the the bending that's taking place around him especially Katara who who is not super well trained mm-hmm. she she we, we see from the fight scene on the the boat that she she tries she to do like a water whip behind her yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to her credit she adapts and she just turns around right. she's like i can just do the same thing but backwards yeah <laughs> which is really smart rather than trying like fix it right. in the moment she just uses adapts. the same ability and adapts in the moment and mm-hmm. turns around to make it work i appreciated uh, that as well yeah and then Sokka makes a comment with with a waterbender and an airbender around y'all are just gonna be wasting time all day yeah uh because he sees it as magic and sort of frivolous mm-hmm. and like i can live my life without it why can't you yeah. i think he diminishes it also as and he tries to put it down as like something that is not as so important because he doesn't have the ability like his sister does. He is the older male. It's very hard. I kind of taking it from my own culture. It's very hard being the oldest male to not be the one that has the ability to ultimately protect everything. Right. Or that power or that power in general. And for it to be on his younger sister, who obviously is a female, probably hits a little too close to home for him every time. So in order for him to, I feel like in order for him to not deal with the actual emotions that he has for it and the fact that he's kind of really jealous of the, that he doesn't have the ability like her. He chalks it up to something He chalks it up as something Mm -hmm. as like, oh, that's just whatever you guys, you guys just do what you do, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not really important. Right. Yeah. We see Sokka. I think he, he's a very kind of like textbook warrior in the sense, like he learned from a textbook. Like he knows the techniques, he knows the battle pain. He knows, he knows that it's his role to Mm -hmm. train and to prepare for battle, but he doesn't have any of that in practice. And so when, when Zuko arrives, Sokka to his credit, no fear, jumps right into the fight and tries to, to take him down. But we see how woefully unprepared he is. Yes. And now Katara maybe wouldn't. And have unsupported. And unsupported. He's, yeah. He's the very oldest. young. Yeah, he's, the, he's <laughs> very young and still the oldest and only male in the tribe. And it's just, he's not ready. And he has no backup. Right. And I would say Katara probably wouldn't have fared any better at this point. Mm-hmm. But we saw what high tier waterbending look like from Aang in the Avatar state. And so we can envision maybe in the future once they find a trainer for Katara, She's how powerful she can be. Right. And how left in the dust Sokka is going to be yeah. as a person with whalebone weapons that he carved himself. Or his boomerang. Yeah, or his, or his boomerang. boomerang. He's just a guy with a boomerang. <laughs> just a guy with a boomerang. I do love that he takes it on himself to train the the younger children. His little like, kindergarten class. His little kindergarten class. <laughs> like, no more bathroom breaks. And yeah. Because he does know the importance of how the traditions of his 
of his tribe are really important to be passed down. He's taking it all upon himself to make sure that there's a quote unquote ready army if there's needed to be. Well, I mean, that highlights too. We talked a lot about Aang's responsibilities on his shoulders as the avatar and what he has on the path ahead of him. But if you look at each of our kid characters that are highlights here, they all have so much on their shoulders. Zuko is set on this mission as a prince to go find the avatar who hasn't been seen in a hundred years. They don't even know if he's out there. He is, it turns out, but he didn't know. He was just blindly searching up until this point. You have Sokka, who is now the oldest male member of his tribe, left behind, and he has the responsibility of being, quote, the man of the house. Mm -hmm. You have Katara, who is the only waterbender in the South Pole, and there's nobody there to help her improve. She's just left to sort of fend for herself and try and improve on her own. And so each of these characters... Again, them being kids have a whole lot of weight and responsibility on their shoulders that they're having to sort of overcome as they go out. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, kind of in a more introspective way, when I was watching this, I always viewed it as greater potential. Like maybe I wasn't intended to go find someone who can master elements because, well, here we are. Um, but at the <laughs> same time, it was like this kind of call where it was just like there is more out there and you may be able to do something not well right now but that doesn't mean that you can't go find someone to help you make it better there isn't someone out there who will be around you to support you even though they have no idea what you're capable of or what the world has in store for you but they're going to be there no matter what anyway so you know when you kind of twist it into this you know get it into your own reality you can then take it as a much more positive thing of not just like this overwhelming sense of duty and responsibility, but as the fact that they have a a path in front of them and they can still hide out in the South pole if they want to. Mm -hmm. That seems kind of be what what's happening down there is it's just a small tiny tribe in the middle of the South pole of women and children. And now that Zuko is taking care of, you know, they could stay there knowing what is in front of them. And it's that choice of saying, you know what? No, this may seem impossible. This may seem like we're never going to accomplish this or we have no idea what we're doing, but we're going to give it a try. We need to figure out how we can make ourselves better so we can be prepared for what's coming. Mm -hmm. And I think that to an adolescent or even kind of preteen audience is a very important message. And I won't say I necessarily like sat there as a 14 year old or however old I was, was just like taking notes like, Oh yeah, no, I can, I can be better. Like, no, it wasn't that, it, but it was, it was it, it like, and I, I'll probably mention this a lot of times cause it's kind of my ideology in, in the first place is this kind of planting of seeds. It's like, no, I'm not going to like give it to you. I'm not going to tell you line by line what needs to happen. But at the same time, it's very important to plant those ideas in in a younger generation. So by the time they're reaching maturity, they have have had an opportunity to mold those kind of things over, really look at their lives and say, what can I do better? Who can teach me? Who will support me? And go from there, because those are the real questions that will get you through life. And this took a really heavy turn, but that's that's what I'm. That is kind of where 
the avatar has such a, a big place in, you know, like my life because it's a kid's show, right? It's on Nickelodeon. <laughs> it's a cartoon. You know, I mean, I was, I'm pretty sure my mom or my dad at any given time was like, you're still watching cartoons? Like, what's, <laughs> I thought we were doing that. Or, okay, whatever. Do you, man? Like, I mean, it, like at some point, it's you're expected to stop watching cartoons. But at the same time, this had such a heavy message that when you really peel away the fact that it was made for kids, the lesson is so real that anyone can benefit. You from can it. apply it anywhere in right. your life. You've got yeah. these kids who have a long journey ahead of them, both like as far as distance goes, they have to get to the North Pole is the current goal eventually. The opposite side of the planet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they have powers to develop. They have talents to better. And then in the meantime, they have each other to lean on. You have the three that are together with Appa that are leaning on each other and setting off on this journey together. But then you also have Zuko and Iro together. And Zuko is certainly leaning on his uncle for support as well. Despite him not wanting it, right. he's still there. And, and Nairo is going to give it to him no matter what. Okay, so we should sort of get to the, the tail end of all this conversation. We're at our predicting the future segment. And so what I want to do is tell Melanie the title of the next episode. And then based on what we saw in these first two and the title of the next episode, what you think we sort of have in store for us. So chapter three is called The Southern Air Temple. So mm. do you have any thoughts on what's to come based on the title or what, just what we've seen? I think we're going to find out more background about Aang. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure out a lot of his backstory with his, maybe his, well, he didn't have parents, right? That's what they mentioned. So There's his upbringing, monks, so. but the monks, mm-hmm. what happened to the monks? And maybe, I don't know why I'm getting kind of like Star Wars, The Last Jedi movie reference but like she fell into that temple right and kind of discovered things about herself mm-hmm. Ray did so maybe it's kind of a situation like that where he gets into this temple Aang does and realizes some things that he, maybe he had forgotten during the time that he was asleep I don't know okay yeah any thoughts for what might be new next for Zuko Zuko last we saw him his boat is half submerged in snow and his crew is thawing (laughs) Thawing. i thought that was hysterical (laughs) so i don't know maybe he's still in that same position because that might have taken a long time or he's plotting to see how he can follow them because i don't know he's probably a pretty smart kid probably has a lot of training and how to track so maybe he his next step is to just follow them again so that he can recapture the avatar okay We'll, we'll keep that in mind and mm-hmm. revisit for next time. So do we have any final thoughts about the episodes today before we close off? I was really bummed that we, we stopped watching after the second one. <laughs> I know, because you, you, the second one ended, and I was just like, okay, here we go. And then you're, I forgot that we had to for a second that was like, oh, yeah, we, we're doing this episode by episode. Yeah. So now I have to wait until next Saturday to, yeah. to know what this goes on. This is going to be one of the first shows in, like, seven years that you've actually have to wait a week <laughs> before That's you not watch my fault. the next episode. Thank you, Hulu and Netflix. Right. I was just like, we're such a, we're hardcore into the binge culture that we don't stop. Wa- like we watch a season in a day, not two episodes. It's going to be really hard not to sneak some episodes behind y'all's back. Um, I'm home all day, so, <laughs> so it's I not will possible. make sure that that does not happen. Right. So... 
Okay, well, we've been talking for a while, so we're going to go ahead and close off the first episode of Crossroads of Destiny. Uh-huh. I hope you all enjoyed it yeah. and got a little taste of what's to come. Contact for the show. You can find it facebook.com slash xroadspod at xroadspod on Twitter. If you liked this episode and you're excited for more to come, go to Apple Podcasts, drop us a rating and a review. That's a great way to help us early on without costing you any extra time or money. You can also email feedback or ideas directly to xroadspod at gmail.com. And you can leave us a voicemail, like right away. You can do it. You can call 3145-YIP-YIP. That is 314-594-7947. And again, the, the, the likelihood of you being played on the show increases if you keep it under a minute and keep it specific. And we'd love to, to introduce discussion topics or yeah. episode details, or if, even if you want to talk about what we talked about here and reference back an episode, we, we can have a moment at the beginning of the next show where we mm-hmm. talk about things that thoughts that you guys had on these first two episodes. So that's all for now, as far as social media for the show goes, Melanie, <laughs> did you want to plug your Instagram one more time? You can find me at Melanie Amanda 44 on Instagram. Okay. It's, it's really boring guys. So. Right. Well, if you, if you didn't listen to the preview episode, you should know that neither Melanie nor Andrew are super active on any social media. Nope. Um, so the Sorry. best way to get in contact with them is going to be through the show Twitter account at yep. X roads pod, or even just directly to me. I'll go ahead and plug my social media. Cause I am on it a lot more than they are. <laughs> <laughs> Significantly more. Significant. <laughs> on Twitter. I am at Chadadada. That is C H A D A D A D A. My other podcasts are the Cinescope Podcast, which is a movie discussion show, Twitter at Cinescope Pod, and the website, thecinescopepodcast.com, and then the Office Discussion Podcast and American Workplace, which I did with my friend Katie. The Twitter for that is at WorkplacePod, and the website is WorkplacePodcast.com. And this website, our website, we officially own it now. As of the preview (laughs) episode, I had not owned it, but I I bought it. We are xroadspod.com. So xroadspod everywhere. And that's it. I'm really looking forward. It's, it's funny. We recorded the preview and the first episode all in one day. And so now we, the, the three of us, have a week to wait and to watch again together and then record the next Stew one. Stew over everything that we've said. Stew. I, yeah. I'm going to be doing work <laughs> yeah. and awesome. be like, I, there's something I forgot to mention. Right. But I'll, I'll make sure to jot it down. Yeah. And so we will be talking next week in episode two when we talk about book one, chapter three, The Southern Air Temple. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.